Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. There you are. I can see you now. Yeah, glad you're with us today. We uh, are back in our series, The Elephant in the Room, which the aim for this series uh, was to spend some time at the start of this new year, reflecting on ourselves, our personal lives, because perhaps uh, we've ignored that with all that's going on in our world and our country. What we did to start this series off was we looked at two people, kind of get the visual of two kinds of lives that we could live. Uh, both of these people are in First Samuel. Eli and Samuel. Eli was the priest who had this really important sort of outward sacred life, public life, but his inner life was a mess. So his inner life and outer life didn't match. It ruined him and it ruined a lot of other people's lives. And then you have Samuel, who's just the opposite. Uh, This man lives into uh, old age with a private and public life that were congruent. And everybody benefited from this man and his character. It's something we all want. And so we asked in this series, how does one become the kind of person who who lives like that? I mean, how, how do you have to approach life? So I made a list of things, uh, narrowed it down to two essential things that must be integrated into our everyday lives, all right? They're just, they're key for me, uh, wrestling with them daily, trying to apply them daily, always considering them. We looked at the first one two weeks ago, said everything is spiritual, That means the way you get up and operate every single day, as you know, behind every single thing that's happening in your life, there's something spiritual beyond it. And what you learn is the material world is not all there is. And I cannot tell you how important it is to live like that every day. I mean, you talk about a radical paradigm transforming shift in your life is when you realize there's more to life than than just what's material. And we said, you know, those book I read for the 4% universe, uh, in other words, 4% is visible, 4% is material. 96% of our universe is not visible. Dark matter and dark energy, it acts like matter on, on, on the 4%, but it doesn't, but you can't see it. And that's sort of how the spiritual life is. There's a, there's a whole spiritual reality out there that is foundational to all physical reality. And believers have to be aware of that. you got to see it. Um, and that spirituality is what's ultimate. It's what's eternal. Uh, but it's invisible. And so if you say, what is spirituality? Let's sort of reduce that down to something simple. It's just recognizing that. And seeking that 96%. Accessing it into all areas of our lives. 
How do you bring it to bear in your world? So that means we have to turn our eyes to the 4% to figure out how to get the 96% into our everyday life. Uh, where it's visible and f- where physical and material. How do, we, how do we do that? Well, the second essential quality, which is going to take some time for me to develop, it won't make a whole lot of sense immediately, but trust me. Um, the second quality is you welcome legitimate pain. So hang with me. When we talk about the kingdom of God, uh, let's, let's see if we can't tease this out. So here's Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get to it here coming up. Uh, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The kingdom is, we're seeking it. The kingdom is the, the spiritual part. It's not visible. The, all these things are physical. So he's talking about clothing and this, you know, roof over your head and food and that kind of thing. Things you need to survive in the material world. But they're not the essential thing. These are the things you're supposed to seek first. Behind that spiritual reality. And then um, Jesus says uh, here, look, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever this kingdom is, let's talk about it. It's God's will actually happening in my life on earth where I live. In other words, this thing you cannot see materializes on earth in me, in my world. That's what that means. So you've got to define kingdom. It's it's one of about five spiritual words, I think, that float around in Christianity that most people really don't know what in the world we're trying to say. In, in, in God's kingdom, things happen the way he wants them to. He rules it. So when it says kingdom, it's basically saying that what, what, what God would want, the way he would want it to happen in my life, I seek that. And then somehow i got to make it materialize in my life. Then he's ruling over my life if that happens. So that's the kingdom. Now, the Lord's Prayer, which is where we get this, or, uh, yeah, your kingdom come. In the Lord's Prayer, all the things you pray about, there's four or five of them, are the, are the places where the 96% intersect and have a junction with the 4%. So in the first one, his will becomes my will on earth. Okay? I'm doing what he wants me to do. Uh, remember the second one, you know, pray for daily bread. I need physical bread here, but I'm seeking God for its provision. So I'm, I'm trusting him to give me what I need today. I pray about that. Then I pray for my sins. Forgive my sins. Forgive my debts. How in the world does anyone live without accessing from God the ability to manage the fact that I'm a wreck? That I, 
I don't come through all the time, that I am a failure, that I do sin. You got to manage that. So I pray for that. And then how about forgive other people's sins? We're talking about Navy SEAL Christian living. Right? Navy SEAL Christian living to forgive other people's sins. If you're not accessing God, how are you going to get that forgiveness into your life where you really need it, like in your home? In your life where you need to be able to do that, how are you going to do it? It's not going to happen. So you can see the two pieces. I got I to gotta seek because I got to know everything is spiritual. I got a problem in my life. I need to be able to forgive somebody. I got to seek him for that. And then somehow it's got to materialize in my life. And whenever that happens, it hurts. It hurts. When the 96% intersects with the 4%, there's pain almost always. Because we're talking about wills. His will versus my will. My will doesn't always want to do his will. So there's a clash, and there's usually pain involved. There's usually giving up something physical for the spiritual to be able to, you know, dominate. Remember I told you last time that the material world that we're praying about, you know, in the my sins, your sins, bread, don't lead us into temptation, all these things I'm praying for every day, they're, they're, when I pray for them, we said, like C.S. Lewis said, that the wardrobe, so the wardrobe is sort of the entranceway into that spiritual reality. Everywhere you have in your material life, you have a way to enter into spiritual reality. There's something spiritual behind it, and God will open up some way for you to see what's behind it. But there's two ways, two obvious wardrobes, that if you're not walking through and if you're not dealing with them, you're, you're really blind to spiritual reality, and that's prayer and Bible. In, this, in Scripture. Those are two immediate ways you enter into spiritual reality immediately. When you pray and when you study Scripture. So the question always becomes, at least immediately at first, what are you praying for? And how is Scripture informing how you're going to do things? Because Scripture is a quick way to find out what the 96% is. It's a quick way to find out what God would want in your life. It's a quick, easy way into the spiritual reality. So if I want spiritual reality to be the foundation of my physical existence and experience, to have what God wants to happen in my life and in my world, then I've got to be ready. My body has to be poised, prepared, sort of bodily and physically to do it. And, of course, that always hurts. And so my body doesn't always want to do it. And that's where we have to. And that's essentially what this is about. So I'm going to introduce you to a verse because we're still teasing this out. Um, but I'm going to introduce you to a verse that takes these two realities. I'm talking about the 96% and 4%. Probably says it better than anything in your New Testament. Even though there's a lot of great things said about it. Here's the two verses that will describe the spiritual life we're describing. 
Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, brothers. It's an exhortation. Based on the mercies of God, present your bodies. Whatever spirituality is, it includes your body. And I need your body in order for the spiritual to materialize it in it. It's a living sacrifice. It's alive, but it's going to hurt. Whenever the body has to come through for God in our lives, it hurts. So I'm, I'm offering a sacrifice. I'm saying, God, my body's yours. And when I do that, then something holy and acceptable to God happens. And Paul is essentially saying this word here, which means really reasonable. It's better, maybe a better translation. Spiritual is good, but reasonable worship. In other words, the only reasonable thing to do once you have come to know Christ is to figure out how to get your body to respond the way he wants it to when you figure out what he wants you to do. It's just reasonable. So don't be conformed to the world. Now, the world's pressuring your body too, wants it to do certain things. He wants us to be transformed, not conformed. This is a complete different. This you just, just go along with the crowd, you'll eventually pick up habits and a lifestyle that's not spiritually conducive at all. But if you're going to be transformed, you're going to have to be transformed to get your body to do the things that the Spirit wants it to do. Uh, so you need your mind for that. So your mind is accessing this part. What's transformed is the body. This is a powerful spiritual principle. So that you can discern what is the will of God. In other words, the way God wants it done. How do I know how God wants it done? I access that 96%. I can go through prayer and I can go through Scripture. Real easy to learn it to figure it out. And then when I do that, uh, when I finally do do what he wants, that's what's good, that's what's acceptable, and that's what's perfect. And one of the questions you can ask yourself right now is, do I really believe that God's way of doing it is the best way? Do you see what it forces you to do? And see, whenever you sin, you just determined your way was better than God's. That's essentially sin. Actually, God, I don't think you're really smart about that. I'll do it my way. But when I do it God's way, this is what I get. So think about this. Spirituality, according to Paul, is when my inner life, this, this, this renewal of my mind, in other words, orienting to that spiritual world, actually gets expressed in my outer life. So the spiritual life that's just always bouncing around in your head, that never makes it out into your spiritual life, that's not spirituality. That means your body, secondly, has to be an ally to being what God wants you to be. I need my body to come through for me when God asks it to do something. Or not to do something. And in that sense, it becomes the center of my spiritual life because everything spiritual is going to materialize in my body. I need my body to pretty much do the vast majority of what God asked me to do. 
Go there, see this, give that. Body has to come through. And in many cases, the barrier to our spiritual lives is our bodies. We give it what it wants. We make it center. And so for most of us, our physical bodies are our spiritual problem. Now, what do I mean, welcome? Now is the time to answer it. What do I mean by welcome legitimate pain? Well, we've just said, if you're going to do God's will and you're going to need your body to do it, and it's going to hurt all the time. So you need to welcome the pain that comes from doing the good, perfect, and acceptable thing. Now, here's another word that I don't like used in Christianity a lot. and It's not that I just don't like it. It's just that it's lost. It's, it's the air has come out of it, the word discipline. Um, so I don't use the word discipline in my life. When I think of the things that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks, I don't think of them as disciplines. I think of them as welcoming legitimate pain. And I got this from Scott Peck and his book, The Road Less Traveled, like three decades ago when I read it. Now, the entire book begins with you trying to wrap your arms around pain and suffering because that's a lot of what life is. And he distinguishes between two kinds of suffering, legitimate pain and illegitimate pain. Legitimate pain and suffering is when you put yourself through pain in order to achieve something, to accomplish something, to be prepared for something. That's legitimate pain. Illegitimate pain is the suffering that comes because you didn't put yourself through the pain. It's the failures and the inabilities and the problems that arise because I didn't discipline myself. You didn't tend to the problem, you didn't prepare, you didn't manage the issue, and as a result, another problem occurs. It's usually what happens. Some of the health problems that Americans experience, they cause themselves. We did it to ourselves. It wasn't genetic. You didn't contract it. You did it to yourself. Legitimate pain would have been discipline. Illegitimate pain are now all the medical problems because of it. That's illegitimate pain. Some of us, our finances are a mess because somehow the pain of putting a budget together and living by it seems too overwhelming. And so we prefer the pain, the illegitimate pain that comes from having a messed up financial life where we're limited in multiple categories of life because we've never learned to manage money because the pain of putting a budget together and living by it was just too much. We'd rather just have a financial mess on our hands. Rather just wake up every day in the hell of that. That's illegitimate pain, according to Peck. There's a, by, by the way, this is a great principle to teach your kids. 
When your kid is crying, ask yourself, is that legitimate pain or illegitimate pain? That's a pain I'm putting on you to help you grow. Cry it out, baby. Let's dance to the crying. That's good cries. Because there's a different kind of cry you teach your kid about. Because you didn't cry on your own and nobody taught you to cry, now you're really going to cry. It's an essential parenting quality. It's essential self-leadership quality. What happens is an illegitimate form of suffering, Peck says, that gets added to it is you'll come up with some substitute. So in order to put, you know, to get away from the pain that you feel, that, you know, that you're trying to hide something, you don't really want to deal with it, you don't discipline yourself, so you just come up with something that gives you comfort. You choose something comfortable. It could be food. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be shopping. And you create a substitute for legitimate pain. Something that makes you feel good instead of hurts. It's not that you're just not going to hurt and not do the discipline. So, I, don't, I didn't create the budget. That's, a, that's lack of discipline. But the fact that I shop to cover up the pain of not... Because I hate myself. Because I don't have a budget. Creates another problem. That's illegitimate suffering too. And then shopping makes it worse. Drinking makes it worse. Drugs make it worse. Just put your list in there. There could be thousands of things. That's the illegitimate substitute. So they become more painful. Then our lives become more painful than if we'd just put the pain in and the front end. So this is how we become neurotic. And we... I've chosen all kinds of self-defeating patterns of living and relating and going about life. Carl Jung said this, neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. So rather than put the budget together, I'll shop. And you become neurotic. It becomes a substitute for just, if you'd have just disciplined yourself on that, we'd have solved this problem. So Peck goes on to say, and this is an overstatement, but it's interesting. For Americans, it rings true a lot, even though I think it's an overstatement. But listen, the avoidance of legitimate suffering is the primary basis of all mental illness. You know why you're nuts? (laughs) You know why I'm nuts? You know why we can be nuts sometimes? You feel like you're insane every once in a while, but the things you do and think and say? Because usually we're just avoiding some legitimate avenue of suffering, and we've chosen a substitute. Living hurts. Pain and suffering is unavoidable, whether you live right or live wrong. In my job, I encounter lots of people who live wrong and reach out to me, our staff, whoever. You live wrong, so you reach out to somebody to help you. And you get to hear their stories, and you say, wow, that's a life lots of people would have chosen but it's hard living too. Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of the sinner is hard. Sarin Kierkegaard writes this, it costs a man just as much to go to hell 
as it does to go to heaven. You're going to pay a high price if you ignore God and do it your way, or if you do what God wants you to do, you're going to pay a high price. This is something else I told my kids all the time. They're both hard. Choose the hard you want, but you're getting hard. That's it. No other options. But in America, we're so dead set against pain and so, and so committed to comfort, we'll do anything to avoid anything that hurts, and it's ruining us. It's making us neurotic. We're neurotic. So Peck calls disciplines, is my favorite term for them, is tools. Just tools. In and of themselves, they're, 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 they're nothing but a tool. Uh, and here's my favorite one. Techniques of suffering. Disciplines are techniques of suffering. It's your own little torture chamber. Isn't that great? Your own little torture chamber that you put yourself through. We're going to talk about that one next week. The torture chamber that you put yourself through to have legitimate pain in your life. And not illegitimate pain. And he writes this, and you'll love it, and it's so convicting. It's just convicting. He says, as will be evident, because he, in his book, describes what, what he thinks the four components of discipline that he has. But he says this, it will become evident when, I look at, when you look at these four things, he says, that these are not complex tools whose application Application demands extensive training. They're simple things. Putting a budget together is not difficult. Kind of a thing. So to the contrary, he says, they're simple tools. And here's the convicting line. Almost all children are adept in their use by the age of 10. This is his gut shot. Even kids learn this principle. Do this, you get that. Don't do this, you get that. By 10, year old, by 10 years old, you figured that out. And yet he writes this, yet presidents and kings forget to use them. Presidents and kings forget to use them, and it destroys us. Now, let me get a text for you that will, spiritual, that will bring the spiritual point of this home, because here's what I don't want you to get. It's the reason that I'm always cautious when we do series like this. I'm not a self-help pastor. I don't want you to come to Hillside and imagine that you just bought a book at Barnes & Noble on a self-help shelf. First of all, you can't help yourself. That's the point. Secondly, they work for three days. And then you're on your own again. And they don't solve the ultimate issues. So I'm after the spiritual life. I don't want you to be successful financially. I'm not worried about, I'm not up here to help you be successful financially. I'm not up here to help you be successful in anything of your life. I'm here to help you be spiritual in your life. And I don't know how God's going to carry out the rest of it. Some of it hurts. It's not, doesn't look like success to the world. So success is not what we're after in here. If you equate spirituality and success, you'll miss it. Okay, you'll miss with spirituality. So let's figure out spiritually what this means for us. So I'm going to read something to you. I got the slides up here. I don't want you to read it. I just want you to hear it, and I want you to feel this story. This comes at the end of Jesus' physical life in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hear this story. 
as if you were listening to it for the first time. So Jesus takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says to the 12 of them, sit here while I go over there and pray. But Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, I want to take a little bit further. He takes them a little bit more. He says, you three come with me. And then he says to them when he gets alone with them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Watch with me. Be alert spiritually. Pay attention to that 96%. And so Jesus left them and he went a little further and he got on his face and he prayed to the Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Here is what happens when the 96% hits the 4%. Jesus is saying, you need something done. My body's got to do it. I need your will to be my will right now. So after he prays this, he comes back to the disciples and he finds them sleeping. This is the cosmic redemptive moment of eternity. Jesus is appealing to his best buddies. Can you come through for me? Can you feel the pathos in that? Be really nice to have you guys right now. He looks right at Peter. Becomes obvious why. You can watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Do you guys realize what's at stake? Do you realize it's not just me here in this garden that's got a big cup to swallow? You guys are going to have to do it too, and you're not prepared. You don't even see what's coming. That's everything spiritual, and you're not prepared for it. And then he says this line, profound statement. We'll never uncover it fully. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so a second time he goes away and prays, my father, if, it's, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, then your will be done. There's, God, there's Jesus saying it again through prayers, agonizing with God. And it's agony to get God's will to happen in your life. So again, he comes back, he finds them sleeping again. And then the text says, because their eyes were heavy. We've seen that word heavy before in this series already. It just seems to be the word where we're just under the weight and crushed by the physical and the spiritual never gets to have its way. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, said the same words. If this cup can't pass, I'll drink it. Then he came to the disciples again. Of course, they were still sleeping, and he says to them, go ahead and sleep now. This is probably a way to interpret this, I think, anyway. Go ahead and sleep now. You might as well go ahead and sleep because it's too late. My hour's at hand. The betrayer is here. I'm about to be delivered into the hands of sinners. You, you, you won't be ready now. Your quick prayer now won't be enough for the temptation that's about to hit you. You needed to have been praying all these hours. 
and now you're not ready. Spiritually, is there anything more motivating than to be able to say to God, God, if you need something, I want to be the guy, I want to be the guy you can turn to. I want to be the guy you can trust not to do that or to do that. Because Jesus here is in this spiritual crisis, and they don't see it, nor are they prepared for it. And Christ isn't above pleading. Please, Pete, handle this correctly. Please, Pete, be ready. Go through some legitimate pain now so that you can avoid some illegitimate pain later. And the disciples, it's, it's, an, it's literally an embarrassing incapability. It, I mean, you read the story and you're like, gosh, you guys are unbelievable. And there's this just pathetic cycle. Three times it happens. Anytime it happens three times, it's to confirm the reality. In other words, if I told you once... Eh, I tell you three times, you're, you're definitely not prepared. If I say you're not prepared, but then I say it three times, you're really not prepared. It just confirms reality. But it also foreshadows Peter's denial, the use of three times. So when Peter denies Christ three times, that means it wasn't just a bad moment for Peter. It means denial was in his heart, and he was a denier. Let's face reality. Let's face reality. You guys are not prepared. Let's face reality. You denied me. And that's why when Jesus comes back to him and says, You're gonna, I, do you love me three times? It's, I need to get this. Is this reality? This needs to be crystal clear. Don't tell me you love me. I need to know three times because I need it to be firm. So the one, when you hear three times, the one becomes the reason for the other. The reason three times you denied me is because three times you failed to prepare. Do you see the connection? So, Peter, do you want the pain and the discipline of staying awake tonight? Or do you want the illegitimate pain of denying me? Do you want that moment when you look in my eyes? And then Jesus says, go ahead and sleep on. It's too late. And here Jesus is, all the while, knowing he's going to have to suffer because for God's will to come into Jesus' life, he was going to have to suffer too. Drinking that cup and the will of God coming into his life, the whole irony of the situation is Jesus is going through legitimate pain in order to do the good, perfect, acceptable thing, and that is drink more suffering. Suffering is at the center. You've got to welcome legitimate pain. It's the only way for God's will to be accomplished in our lives. So that means I have to be prepared. So one writer says this, it's a huge mistake spiritually to think that we can follow Jesus, consistently love our enemies, go the second mile, turn the other cheek, deny self, while all the while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us. 
It'd be like trying to run a marathon if you're just living the life you normally live every day. It's impossible. There had to be some distinctive way about their life and their approach to life because feelings and ideas and beliefs and even good intentions are not enough. Peter had good intentions. He looked right at Jesus and said, I will not deny you. Wasn't enough. So another image that comes to my mind as I wrap this up for us today is another spiritual image that I use in my head, sort of like the one for, my, for integrity of the, you know, the railroad tie that's rotted. This is the other one. I've shared it with you. It's been a while probably, but when my son Anthony was uh, seven years old, he became a black belt in Taekwondo. Started when he was about four. And, you know, each belt, you have to learn a new routine. And I was taking them every week, you know, three times a week to, to, uh, to practice. And I learned, I memorized every belt in my head so that he could perform any belt in front of me. And I would know if he missed a move. It was just from going over it all the time with him, you know, just seeing it so much. And how much work he had to go in to learn the routine. And so when, uh, when it was sort of promotion day... And all the belts gathered to get their, to graduate to their next belt. All the family gets to, all the families come together and the kids all, you know, perform. And uh, we're all sitting there and everybody's going. And then finally it's Anthony's turn. And, you know, you got to jump over people. You got to break boards. You got to, you know, black belt had to do just about everything. But when he got to his routine and he was going through the routine all by himself out there, I'm sitting here next to Gail watching him. And, and I'm, I'm sort of doing them, you know, all the moves. That was one of the moves, by the way. And uh, while I'm doing this, you know, the intensity of a father watching his kid, you know, Gil sort of leans over to me and whispers, you're a black belt. <laughs> sort of joking. You know, I thought to myself, Maybe I am. And in my mind, maybe. I knew the routines. I, I'd get an A on that test. But in real life, there's not one black belt move that would naturally come into my physical life if I needed it. Because I didn't rehearse them that way. It was all mental. And I think spiritually, we're very much the same way. We just get data and data and information. We know the routines. We know the activities. We know the stuff. We get it in our heads, but it never materializes into our life or our bodies. We still do this. Our bodies still do that stuff we did when we were in third grade. We still make hand gestures real naturally. How fast do you put up that one finger? Because your body's just so used to doing it. How fast does a cuss word come out of your mouth? How quick do your eyes roam? Because that's just what you've always done. And your head's on a swivel. Your hand's quick. 
Peter, what do you think Peter did after all that non-praying in the garden, right, as Jesus is about to be handed over? What did he do? He reached for the sword because that's what I do. And what did Jesus say? Uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't need your arm doing that. Put that back. Peter's going to have to learn a whole new movement with his arm. He's going to learn how to shake hands with people instead of cut them. So we have a spirituality in our head, but it never materializes into our life. We know no real spiritual moves. That's why Dallas Willard writes this. Whatever is purely mental cannot transform the self. Whatever is purely mental cannot transform the self. So then what does it look like to be sort of a a spiritual, to be in training spiritually? What does that look like? Well, that's what we have to do next week. I wanted to do it today, but they told me I had to be done. So we're going to do it next week. Now, let me close by asking you this, because I want you to think about it. Um, Maybe you sitting here saying, you know, my spirituality has always been just a mental thing. It's never become something that I use every day naturally. It doesn't come out of me naturally. Well, that means there's a problem in the spiritual formation. You would say to me, dude, you got a problem with your black belt. And then your next thought was going to be, well, geez, I've blown it. I got a real mess on my hands in my life. I got a lot of illegitimate pain in my life because I I wasn't doing legitimate pain. You know, what if I've been sleeping for the last week, last year, last decade, last 20 years spiritually? I, I might as well have been one of those guys in the garden completely asleep, incapable of doing anything God asked me to do. Well, here's the good news. What I love about Christianity is what I love about a day like today. I don't care what kind of illegitimate pain you're in. Right now, you can immediately start doing what God wants you to do in your life. And that would be the best decision of your life, no matter how messy it is. Because Jesus, because Jesus did not sleep in the garden. Aren't you glad he didn't fall asleep? Aren't you glad he drank the cup? Aren't you glad he endured the the legitimate suffering? the pain to accomplish God's will. And because he did that, he died for the rest of us sleepers. We're all sleepers. He endured our pain for us. When that truth penetrates your heart, it will transform you. It will wake you up. It did it to the disciples. These sleepers became the leaders of the church. How'd that happen? How'd they go from being sleepers to leaders? They were awakened by God's love. Got in their heart, and they were committed to doing what he, wants them, what he wanted them to do. And until that happens, 
And that's something I can't give you. I can talk to you next week about the training. Won't mean a thing. They're just tools. Unless God transforms your heart and gives you the motivation to want to do it, you won't. And the whole thing will just stay in your head. Your whole spiritual life will just stay in your head. Father, that's not what we want. And today, right now, probably what we need more than anything else is the reminder and the truth that we can start over today. I love this about loving you and following you. That if I get off path, I can immediately decide that today I want to do what you want me to do. I want my body to come through. I want your will to be done in my life. I want it to materialize in my life. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.